Thank you for tuning in to the Liberty Church Online Podcast. This is Pastor Andrew, and whether you're listening in the car or at the gym, or maybe just sitting down with a cup of coffee and an open Bible in front of you, we hope that through this message, God will meet you right where you are and help you grow in your personal relationship with Him. So let's jump right into this week's study of God's Word together. Morning, Liberty Church. Good to see you. If you're a guest with us, we're glad you're here uh, spending part of your Sunday with us. We are uh, last Sunday before Christmas, right? So one, one week from today is Christmas Day. We are closing out our series called More Than Conquerors from the book of Romans. Today, um, we're going to be in chapters 14 and 15. Um, and chapter, it's got 16 chapters. I encourage you to read chapter 16, but we're just going to touch on 14 and 15 this morning. Before we get into the sacred text, however, I want to begin this morning's message with a parable. Um, I'm going to be reading from this uh, deeply theological, um, highly academic work of English literature, okay, by Dr. Seuss, okay, (laughs) and um, I know How the Grinch Stole Christmas gets all the press this time of year, Uh, but I want to share with you my favorite Dr. Seuss short story. If you're a guest with us, please don't think we don't preach the Bible here. I don't preach out of Dr. Seuss, okay, every Sunday, just so you know. Um, It's just an illustration of what we're talking about, actually, in the Scriptures today. So I want to read it to you. It's very brief, um, and I'm even going to give it to you with illustrations, all right? So it's about the—have you heard this one, Dr. Seuss, about the Zacks? It's my favorite one. Okay, so I'm going to read it for you. One day— making tracks in the prairie of Prax, came a north-going Zax and a south-going Zax. And it happened that both of them came to a place where they bumped, there they stood, foot to foot, face to face. Look here now, the north-going Zax said, I say, you are blocking my path, you are right in my way. I'm a north-going Zax and I always go north, get out of my way now and let me go forth. Who's in whose way, snapped the south-going Zacks. I always go south, making south-going tracks. So you're in my way, and I ask you to move and let me go south in my south-going groove. Then the north-going Zacks puffed his chest up with pride. I never, he said, take a step to one side. And I'll prove to you that I won't change my ways, even if I have to keep standing here 59 days. And I'll prove to you, yelled the south-going Zacks, that I can stand here in the prairie of Prax for 59 years, for I live by a rule that I learned as a boy back in south-going school. Never budge, that's my rule. Never budge in the least, not an inch to the west, not an inch to the east. I'll stay here not budging. I can and I will if it makes you and me and the whole world stand still. Well, of course the world didn't stand still. The world grew. In a couple of years, the new highway came through. And they built it right over those two stubborn Zacks and left them there standing unbudged in their tracks. You know, there are so many applications that you and I could make of that parable to human relationships. But as a pastor and as a Christian, whenever I read the story about the Zacks, 
I think about all the churches that get so embroiled and wrapped up in inner disputes and conflict and division that they miss out on fulfilling their mission of taking the gospel of Jesus Christ to a needy and dying world. And they get so wrapped up in internal conflicts and the world just builds around them, keeps on going. And so we're in the book of Romans, and we've been talking about, you know, what a strong church. This has been a good church, right? The church at Rome is a good church. If you were with us a few weeks ago, or a couple months ago now, in part one, chapter one, Paul says about this church, your faith is being reported all over the world. And so they had a good testimony. They had a good witness. And Paul spends the majority of the book of Romans talking about the gospel, the good news that Jesus has come to set us free from sin and victory over death. But it seems like in the closing chapters of this letter that he wrote to the church at Rome, he's concerned that perhaps some seeds of division and conflict have woven their way into the fellowship, and that is why he says the things he says in chapters 14 and 15, which we'll be looking at. But before we read it, I want to say this. You know, and I can only speak uh, to the last 15 years or so here at Liberty, but here at our church, in our fellowship, uh, we have enjoyed a healthy amount of unity, and we praise the Lord for that. And it hasn't always been smooth sailing. Hey, we've had to work through some things over the years, to be sure. Uh, It's never perfect. You never get it just right, because uh, from the pastors on down, we're an imperfect people, imperfect church. But thanks be to God that we've never had any major division or split in the fellowship. But having said that, I think all of us know that's not always the case, and those things don't happen by accident, because there are a lot of churches embroiled in conflict and disputes, and it's hindering their ability to accomplish their mission. Paul was concerned that might happen to this good church uh, here in Rome. And so when we read these verses uh, today, it's just an encouragement to all of us and a challenge for all of us to, to work hard, those of us who call this church our church home, to work hard to preserve the fellowship of the body because the stakes are high. And again, it doesn't happen by accident. Unity is a byproduct of the Holy Spirit working through people to put Jesus first instead of their own opinions and their own you know, preferences. Uh, it's a work of God. And uh, we've been blessed in many ways with that work of God. And so we read this passage today just as a challenge. So, okay, hey, keep doing what you're doing. And, that, and in some sense, I think that was Paul's word to the Roman Christians as well. Because, again, they had a lot of good things going on, but he just got wind that there were some conflicts. And he wanted to speak some truth into those conflicts before they got out of hand. So it's a, it's, this is a great word that we're looking at this morning to every body of Christ. So take a look. If you've got a Bible, we're going to start in Luke chapter 15, verse 5, and here's what Paul says. Romans chapter 15, verse 5, here's what he says. May the God who gives endurance and encouragement give you the same attitude of mind toward each other that Christ Jesus had, so that with, look at this, one mind and one voice, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Accept one another then, just as Christ accepted you in order to bring praise to God. And that's God's vision for his church. That's the kind of church that makes an impact in this spiritually dark and needy world. It's a church that is united. What do you say? In one mind and in one voice. They love the Lord. They serve the Lord. They are a witness for the Lord. They, they speak with one voice. 
as his testimony in this spiritually dark world, and God works through that kind of people. And Paul says, that's the vision. That's what I'm calling you to do. So, so to do that, accept one another for the glory of God, so that God might be glorified. Now, if you've been with us for this series, you know that throughout the book of Romans, the primary theme is the gospel, the good news that Jesus, it's really a great Christmas book because it's all about the good news of Jesus coming to earth, dying a, uh, leading a sinless life, dying a death that you and I deserved so that we might find forgiveness of sins, have victory over death, and spend eternity in heaven. That's the major theme of Romans, the gospel, the good news. Something has happened, and it's our mission to declare that good news. And Paul's concerned that, that these internal conflicts here in the church at Rome are going to hinder their testimony and, and cause them to get so preoccupied with these little bickering you know, fights with one another that it hinders their testimony and prevents them from being all in on sharing the good news. And, and so he writes these words, and to understand what's going on in the church, we have to go back to chapter 14, verse 1. That's where we want to start this morning and take a look at what he says. Accept one another, I'm sorry, accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. So the first thing we learn is that these folks were not quarreling over clear-cut, you know, black and white, right and wrong significant matters of doctrine. He calls them disputable matters. Um, we're going to talk about what that means in just a moment. These disputable matters, we might call them gray areas where, you know, good people who love the Lord might disagree. Matters of opinion, matters of preference. These are the things that Paul was concerned about. He, again, he's, he calls them, dis they're not indisputable. They're not significant. They're disputable. People, good people disagree. That was the problem. But it's worth mentioning before we go any further into that, you know, some matters in the church are worth fighting for. Uh, some matters in the church are worth dividing over. Not very many, okay, not very many, but there are some things that simply define what the church is and what we're called to do, that there's just no room for compromise. Um, for example, the gospel message, right? I mean, the gospel that the, the only way that you and I can come to be right with God is through Jesus Christ alone, and not by works. It's by grace, through faith in him. That, that's a message we just can't, we, we could never compromise on and still be called to church. Uh, that's so, it's so important that we preach the right message of how people get right with God through Jesus that Paul said in Galatians chapter 1, uh, I think it's verse 9, he says, if anybody ever comes into your fellowship and starts preaching another gospel, let them be cursed by God. Let them be condemned. So clearly Paul is, uh, this church at Rome's not fighting over that. Uh, that's indisputable, right? The, the gospel, you know, no, no room for compromise on, on the gospel message. Uh, matters in which the authority of God's word are undermined are matters worth fighting for and, and dividing over. I mean, God has spoken so clearly on some matters, it's so evident as to what God's will is on these particular things that uh, there's just no room for a church to, to compromise their views on those things without compromising their belief in the authority of the scriptures. Um, in the news recently, maybe you've seen it, the, the, the UMC, the United Methodist Church, uh, 
Have you seen, the, have you seen those uh, uh, reports in the news? I mean, it's, not, it's, the, it's the United Methodist Church, not nearly as united as it used to be, right? And, and if you've read into that, uh, read about that situation at all, what's going on in the UMC right now is that there is a, a group of people there who want the Bible to be the authority for the churches. And so they've said, we, we believe God's word should be the authority, uh, specifically uh, in their case, uh, in matters of uh, sexual expression and gender issues. And there's this one group that says, yeah, we think, we think God should be the authority on those things. And the other group is saying, no, we don't want God's word to be the authority on those things. It's kind of antiquated. It's kind of out of date. We want the culture, the society to determine what's right and what's wrong, what's acceptable on those matters. And so the Bible believers in the denomination have decided to rightfully to walk away and do their own thing and start their own. I don't know, you know what their plans are, but it's a major rift in a major denomination that in many ways has stood for what is true and what is right over the generations. You see, there are some matters so clearly defined in Scripture that you just can't have it both ways. We're either going to follow the Bible and let it be our authority or let something or someone else determine uh, what is right and acceptable and what is wrong. And it, you know, and it has nothing to do with loving people. I, hey, God's called us to love everybody. It has nothing to do with trying to get along with people because God's word has called us to not be contentious and to be agreeable where we can. But never forget that there are some things worth fighting for and dividing over. Charles Spurgeon, the great English pastor from a bygone generation, put it this way. He said, it is better to be divided by truth than to be united in error. He's right. Every generation, that, that is true. Better to be un divided by truth than to be united in error. So there are some matters worth dividing over. Not very many, okay, but there, there are some. But having said that, in my experience as a Christian, and I've been in church, my dad was a pastor, and I've been in church my whole life. In my experience in church life, the things that most churches divide over and fight about are exactly what the church in Rome was fighting about, disputable matters. Matters of personal preference, matters of opinion, you know, not major doctrinal issues, but just things that somebody wants one way and somebody else wants another way and there's a conflict. And listen, whether the conflict is over indisputable matters like major doctrines or the conflict is over disputable matters like these things the Roman believers were fighting over, it still detracts the, distracts the church from fulfilling its mission. And whatever the devil can do to keep a church off balance and not focused on the mission, that's what he'll do. So he doesn't care if it's major or minor. If it causes division, he's all for it. And so again, Paul is concerned that, that the evil one might get into this good church and foul up what God has been doing through them throughout their existence. So take a look. Here's what he says in uh, verse 1. We just read it. Uh, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. So what are disputable matters? Well, what are these things not worth fighting over? Well, here's the definition I would put forward matters of opinion or personal preference which are not specifically addressed in scripture as either having eternal significance or consequence we might call them gray issues they're disputable good people disagree 
followers of Jesus, people who love the Lord, may not see it the same way. So that's the definition. Matters of opinion or personal preference, which are not specifically addressed in Scripture as either having eternal significance or consequence. Now, that's a very nicely put definition that I worked really hard on this last week, by the way. Um, But here's probably a better definition. You know, disputable matters, good old-fashioned differences of opinion between brothers and sisters in Christ. That's what it is. Not that significant. People may feel strongly about something one way or the other, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, not eternally significant, really no eternal consequence. But, but people are different. People have different backgrounds, different traditions. Uh, they have, uh, they're, they're at different places on their spiritual journey. And whenever that's the case, there's a chance that not everybody's going to see things the same way. And that's what's happening in this church. These matters they were fighting over, um, it, it, eternity didn't hang in the balance on these matters. The glory of God didn't hang in the balance. It wasn't at stake on these disputable issues, these, these gray areas. But it was just enough to keep the church off balance and to prevent it from fulfilling the mission God had called it to. So let me ask you a question. I want you to put it in the back of your mind and think about it. We'll come back to it in a moment. But what would you say are some of the disputable matters in God's church today, okay, in the 21st century? What are, some, what are some of these gray areas in which people who love the Lord and serve the Lord, Christian people, don't see the same way? There's a difference of opinion. There's a difference of preference. Okay, I want you to think about that for a moment, um, and we'll come back to it, because the issues that we deal with in the church today are not the same issues, they're not the same disputable matters that these believers in the Roman church were facing. But to better understand how we can move forward in our churches today, we need to understand what God's Word says here about what the Roman churches were going through. So let's, um, let's take a look. Um, as with most churches, ours included, this local church in Rome was comprised of different people from different backgrounds. And again, that, that's, that's always the case. Different families, different traditions, different religious uh, persuasions. In the case of the Roman church, a good, a good portion of the church were former Jews. They, they were Jewish believers, okay? So they were you know, followers of the Old Testament laws, and then they came to know Jesus, okay? They believed the gospel, and, um, and so they were a part of this church. But mixed with those Jewish Christians were a lot of Gentile Christians, first-generation followers of Jesus. And they didn't know or even care about the Old Testament laws that God gave to Moses. That wasn't part of their heritage. That wasn't part of their history. So this church, I mean, they're all believers. They're all followers of Christ. Um, these Jewish Christians, however, had some convictions, and they had some preferences that the Gentile believers again, didn't know about and really didn't care about. And the two issues that come up here in Romans chapter 14 have to do with diet, okay, what, what Christians were allowed to eat, and days, you know, sacred, holy days that are talked about in the Old Testament. And some of these Jewish believers were kind of bringing them into the, the church and, and the New Testament. So um, with that in mind, let me read you the passage, okay, then we'll make some comments about it. We'll start back in verse 1. Uh, Accept the one whose faith is weak, without quarreling over disputable matters. One person's faith allows them to eat anything, but another whose faith is weak 
eats only vegetables. Now, don't read that with uh, 21st century eyes, okay? If you're a vegetarian, it's not, a, it's not saying that, you know, you're not spiritually where the rest of us are, okay? You may be missing out on some of the joys of life, but you're, you're fine as a Christian. That's not what it's saying. He's talking about the Old Testament, you know, dietary laws that some of these Jewish believers considered sacred and holy. Um, in verse 3, the one who eats everything must not treat the one uh, with contempt, the one who does not, and the one who does not eat everything must not judge the one who does, for God has accepted them. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To their own master, servants stand or fall, and they will stand, for the Lord is able to make them stand. Continues in verse 5, one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Again, a reference back to these Jewish believers who, you know, they had a lot of holy days, a lot of sacred days that they, they wanted to recognize in their New Testament faith. So one person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. Each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. Whoever regards one day as special does so to the Lord. Whoever eats meat does so to the Lord, for they give thanks to God. And whoever abstains does so to the Lord and gives thanks to God. So clearly, you know, a lot of these Jewish Christians have brought into the church their heritage, their background. It was meaningful to them. And so they, you know, these Old Testament laws, these dietary laws that came under Moses, yeah, they wanted that to be a part of their Christian faith. Meanwhile, these Gentile believers want no part of that. You know, they have no history. They don't care. They don't know what those Old Testament laws were. And they're just like, hey, we're followers of Jesus, man. We just want to follow Jesus. We're free to eat whatever we want and to celebrate and worship whatever days we want. Um, we don't want to be bogged down by all that Old Testament rule and restriction. So you can just kind of imagine the dividing lines that could form in a church like this, Right? I mean, you think, again, in the New Testament, most churches weren't as big as our church here. They were usually smaller groups of people. Everybody, for the most part, knew one another in these smaller churches. But you got Jews, Jewish Christians, you got Gentile Christians, and they're coming together for a potluck dinner, you know, just kind of build the fellowship. And these Gentiles, you know, over there in the corner eating a big ham sandwich, and, and uh, you know, and these Jewish believers are appalled. Okay, they're like, wait a minute, what's going on? What's happening to our church? Yeah, these Gentile Christians, they, they would, hey, that is unclean. You can't eat that stuff. Aren't you a Christian? I mean, aren't you serious about, you know, following Jesus, e eating a ham sandwich? How could you do that here at our potluck dinner? And the Gentiles are perplexed. They're like, what do you mean? What's wrong with eating a ham sandwich? I mean, here, put some bacon on it. It really tastes good when you do that. <laughs> and, and the Jewish Christians are like, oh, well, yeah, our church is going to hell, man. This is, this is, this is wow, we can't, we can't allow this sort of thing. Um, and, you know, it's <laughs> comical to look back on uh, for us, uh, but I, I, listen, there were some very strong opinions. Um, and these Jewish Christians, they were sincere in their faith. They wanted to follow Jesus and grow. And these Gentile Christians, they were sincere in their faith, and they wanted to follow Jesus and, and, and grow to maturity. But over these issues, the Jewish Christians were judging the Gentiles, the Gentile believers, you know, for being unclean and 
and worldly. All the while, the Gentile Christians were looking down on their Jewish brothers and sisters for being legalistic and rigid. And you just kind of feel this tension. And Paul gets wind of this. And he's thinking, oh, no, oh, no, no. This church, man, they got so much potential. Uh, this church, their faith is being reported all over the world, right? I mean, God, God is doing some wonderful things through this church. I just don't want to see them get distracted and hung up bickering about these disputable matters. Not only that, you know, the Jewish calendar was different than the Gentile calendar. That's that reference to some people consider some days more holy than other days. Other people don't care. You know, it's not important to them. Same kind of thing, same kind of conflict, same kind of tension going on between these two groups that were threatening to splinter the church and hinder its testimony. Okay, so you, so you get the point. That, that's what Paul's talking about in Romans 14, verse 1, where he says, Accept the one whose faith is weak without quarreling over disputable matters. And in this context, actually, Paul's referring to the Jewish believers as the one who were weaker in their faith, the, the brother or the sister who is weaker in faith. That's a reference to the Jewish believers. And the reason for that is because Paul spent the whole most of Romans talking about the good news of Jesus, the gospel of Christ. And throughout the book, if you've read Romans, you'll find he's continually saying the law can't save you. The, the Old Testament law can't save you. The Old Testament law had a purpose. It was to, to show us our sinfulness and our need of a Savior, but it can't save you. Keeping the law is not going to get you to heaven. He's been saying that throughout the book of Romans. And these Jewish Christians, they believed that to a point. And they were like, yeah, we believe in Jesus. And we, we get what you're saying, Paul. But, you know, just to be sure, maybe we ought to keep some of these holy days and some of these, you know, dietary law. Just, to, you know, no harm in that, right? And Paul's like, no, you're showing your weakness in your faith. You, you don't understand how significant the death and the resurrection of Christ uh, is. Um, the old... Testament law won't get you any closer to a right relationship with God. Only Jesus can do that. And that's why he's referring to them as the weaker brother or sister in, in this case. So remember our definition of disputable matters. Okay, here we go. Matters of opinion or personal preference, which are not specifically addressed in Scripture as either having eternal significance or consequence. So let's, go back, let's come back to that question. Brother or sister in Christ, uh, Liberty Church family. What would you say are some disputable matters that Christians can divide over in our day? All right, what are some of the, what we might call gray areas? And if we were in a small group right now, this would be a great time to brainstorm together and write our, you know, people come up with different things. Uh, we can't do that uh, in this setting. But uh, this past week, I, I made a sample list. Uh, this is not an exhaustive list, and there are other things we could add to it. Actually, I thought of some more this morning, but it's too late. So. Um, but these are some of the things that I have experienced in my own life in the church. Um, disputable matters, gray areas, not significant matters of doctrine or practice, just things that Christians fight about. And as a result, many times um, it hinders their ability to fulfill God's mission. Okay, so let's take a look at some of these. Um, there we go. Okay, m music. Does the church ever get divided over the subject of music styles? <laughs> I've got the scars to show you. Yeah, yeah, I lived through those worship wars. Uh, but still, even today, music, movies, 
uh, alcohol, um, attire, dress code, you know, uh, Bible translations, long hair, short hair, no hair in my case, um, <laughs> birth control, dating, dancing, smoking, chewing, piercing, tattooing. That sounds like Dr. Seuss, doesn't it? Uh, smoking, chewing, piercing, tattooing. Um, it's kind of funny, you know, when we moved here 15 years ago, um, we came from a, a church that was old, older and kind of legalistic in some ways, and that, uh, that subject of tattooing came up in that church. And then I moved to, you know, this church and uh, near, uh, near Fort Bragg, and I realized that's not an issue with you folks. Uh, <laughs> all right? That's good with me, all right? Um, but yeah, you know, different parts of the country, that's a good illustration. You know, where, those are, listen, truth is truth wherever you take it. Gray areas, okay, uh, disputable matters, you know, you, you, one group has one set of things and another group has another set of things. Um, and so look at that, uh, let's see, yeah, look at that list. And um, some of you, actually I know for sure, I just, well I shouldn't say I know that, but I imagine some of you see some things on that list and you're saying, hey, wait a minute, that's not a gray area. <laughs> and you just proved my point. You got a very strong opinion about maybe one, of the, one or a few of those areas up there. Yeah, you feel very strongly about what's right and what's wrong. You don't see it as gray. You see it as black or, or, or as white. But, but here's the newsflash. There are some other people probably in this church who love Jesus and are just committed to him as you are who see it completely different. That's what makes it disputable, right? And, and that's what this church at Rome is, is wrestling with. Uh, again, not, not major doctrines, gray areas, matters of personal preference, matters of opinion. And, uh, and, you know, on that list, I didn't even include some of the finer points of doctrine and theology that Christians have always seen differently. Um, there's a lot of those things. I, I know of a church... Um, I mean, a, a local church, okay, a real church. Not, I mean, I'm, I'm familiar with it. I'm, I didn't just read about it. I, I'm familiar with a local church that actually split because they disagreed over the sequence of events concerning the end times. You know, some groups say, hey, Jesus is coming back here. Other groups say, no, the church is going out here. And, you know, so, so there's this timeline of events, and they couldn't agree on this timeline, the sequence concerning the end times, and so one group in the church just left and started another church. And you know, come on. Christians have been debating that for centuries. Couldn't we all just agree that Jesus is coming back, and you better be ready? And Jesus is coming back, and the role of this church is to help other people get ready? Do we really want to spend our time debating these finer points of doctrine that haven't been settled for centuries? Can't we just focus on the big picture? Hey, Christ is returning, all right? And, and we better get our house in order, and we better allow God to use us to help other people come to know him. See, that's the concern that Paul has with this church, that they're going to be so distracted about all these gray areas they're going to lose focus on their, on their mission. 
Okay, uh, I want you to see how Paul instructs these believers um, to navigate these disputable matters in their church. Romans 14 is so extremely practical, okay? And I know some of you hopefully will be here at Liberty for your whole lives. Others of you, you know, your military families, you're coming through, you'll be here for a few years, you're going to PCS somewhere else uh, in time. Um, but you know, our vision here at Liberty is not just to grow our church, small C, we want to grow God's church, the big church, big C, okay? So wherever you go and you're a member of a church, uh, we're hoping you'll take the truths that you learn here and apply them to your situation, your, your church. Um, so maybe you'll find yourself in a church one day that's kind of trying to navigate some of these gray areas, these disputable matters. Again, truth, truth travels, okay? You can take it with you. And, uh, and we just hope that these things will encourage you, not only us here at Liberty, but all of us, uh, wherever we end up in our uh, local church family, okay? So here's what Paul says to them. First thing, uh, how do you navigate these disputable gray areas? Be true to yourself. Be true to yourself. Look what he says in verse 5. One person considers one day more sacred than another. Another considers every day alike. You know, people in the church, Paul says, they may have different convictions or preferences. That's okay. But each of them should be fully convinced in their own mind. You know, if God has placed a strong conviction in your heart about a disputable matter, then you need to be true to that and convinced of that in your own mind. The problem is when I start to judge others or look down on others because they don't see it the same way I do. But I, but I still need to be true to myself and my own convictions on these matters. And sometimes that happens here at Liberty. I, you know, there's been a number of sermons we've been talking about something, and I will say, hey, listen, here's my opinion on this, okay? Here, here's my conviction. This is me, not the Lord, okay? And hopefully I always, you know... Um, mention that because you're not held accountable for my opinions. <laughs> you and I are held accountable for what God has said. And that's the message. That's the focus. So on those occasions where I say, hey, I've got a personal conviction about this. Good people disagree. Um, it's, it's important to understand that. But I need to be true to my convictions, and you need to be true to your convictions. And Paul says everyone needs to be convinced in their own mind about it. Don't look, down other, don't look down on other people because they don't see it the same way you do. So look what he says in verse 12. So then, each of us will give an account of ourselves to God. Therefore, let us stop passing judgment on one another. Well, here, here's the, the point, is that I need to be true to my own convictions because I'm going to have to give an account to the Lord for myself. I don't have to give an account to the Lord for you. You've got to give an account for you. And that's why Paul says, stop judging one another. Who are you to judge someone else's servant? To his own master he stands or falls, and he will stand because the Lord is able to make him stand. You see what he's saying? Um, be true to yourself. So look what he says. Again, this is so practical for us. So whatever you believe about these things, keep between yourself and God. Wow, I mean, is that great? I mean, there are some issues that, okay, Paul's saying, they're just not worth dividing over. You know, you have a strong opinion about them, you know, good for you. Well, keep it between yourself and the Lord, because, you know, because if you start trying to convince other people, or you start trying to judge other people, then it's going to cause division in, in the church family, and it's just not worth it. So, be true to yourself. Uh, secondly, we've already alluded to it, be mindful of others. Be mindful of others. 
Sometimes when we come to know Jesus, we think, okay, it's just about Jesus and me now. But man, you can't read the New Testament without realizing it's not just about Jesus and you. It's about Jesus and you and his people, his church, the brothers and sisters in Christ seated around you. So much of the New Testament is, in, is our instructions to a community of faith, not unlike ours. So this idea of me and Jesus, you know, and, and you know, nobody else, that's, that's, not, that's not the way the New Testament sees it. It's you and Jesus and his people, the church. You're an integral part of his family, related by Jesus to your brothers and sisters in Christ. And so when I, when I become a follower of Christ, I, it comes with this idea that I need to be mindful of others in my faith family where they are spiritually, their backgrounds and their sensitivities and, and work hard to do what I can to protect the unity of that family. Look what he says in verse 13. Therefore, let us, stop let us stop passing judgment on one another. Instead, make up your mind not to put any stumbling block or obstacle in the way of a brother or sister. Because I am convinced, being fully persuaded in the Lord Jesus, that nothing is unclean in itself. Now, isn't that interesting? Because Paul was a Jew. He was steeped in Jewish heritage and tradition. And yet, in this case, he's, he's kind of siding with the Gentile believers, isn't he? he said, I, you know, those Old Testament laws, they're a thing of the past. Now, I'm convinced that any kind of food that you eat is, is, is fine if it's done, you know, with gratitude to the Lord. But look what he says. If anyone regards something as unclean, then for that person, it is unclean. It's that earlier point that you and I need to be true to our convictions. Verse 15, he says, if your brother or sister is distressed because of what you eat, you are no longer acting in love. Do not by your eating destroy someone for whom Christ died. And so you see, the, the idea of those verses is, you know, these Gentile Christians, perhaps they were um, kind of bragging about their freedom, kind of rubbing it in their Jewish brothers and sisters' face. They're like, hey, 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 Jewish friend, come over here. I want you to try this ham sandwich. You know, I want, to just, I want you to try this bacon-wrapped ham sandwich. And you're, you're really missing. You shouldn't be so stiff, man. You shouldn't be so, you know, legalistic. I mean, this is not going to kill you. And see, they didn't know. They didn't know that it will kill you, okay? But they didn't know that. Um, but you, and, and the Jewish Christian, oh, no, terrible. Get away from you. you know, I don't know if you're a Christian. Or, so, again, there's this, there's this tension. And, and the reason there's tension is because... Uh, these believers, some of them, were not following this guidance to be mindful. Be mindful of those in your church family, in your faith family, where they are spiritually. And, 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 and something, that's a, something that's a freedom for you may be a very dangerous situation for somebody else. And maybe in some way you're not tempted or you're not prone, and they are. And there's just all these things we need to consider out of love. So if we're flaunting our freedom, say, hey, man, I'm just free in Jesus. I don't care what anybody else thinks. Then you're not really acting in love. All right. You may be right, but you're not doing it right. You're not going about it right. Um, and, and that was Paul's concern here. Well, whatever the issue may be, Paul is saying, be mindful of others. Here's the last thing. Be true to yourself. Be mindful of others. And I love this. Be united in mission. Okay, this is how to navigate these gray areas, these, 
disputable matters, be united in mission. I look at verse 19. Let us, therefore, okay, in light of all these things Paul has said about dietary laws and, and uh, you know, disputable matters, he said, let us, therefore, make every effort to do what leads to peace and mutual edification. Do not destroy the work of God for the sake of food. And isn't that a good word to our church, to every church? Paul is saying, in the language of our day, church, keep the main thing the main thing. Don't destroy the work of God for the sake of your disputable matter, your opinion, your preference. What is the work of God? Well, the work of God is, he's been talking about it in Romans, the work of God is taking the gospel message, the good news, and and taking it to the world and bringing lost people to Christ. The work of God is taking believers and helping them grow to maturity. Paul says, don't for the sake of your disputable matter, your opinion, destroy or hinder the work of God. Because you, you, you can't focus on all these internal conflicts and stand united in your mission. And that was his concern. Because God has given the church a great mission, a great mission to go and make disciples a great mission to take the gospel to a spiritually dark and needy world, a great mission to to take believers and help them grow in their faith to maturity and lead fruitful Christian lives. It's a great mission that we could never accomplish on our own. The only way we could accomplish that as a church is when God's people yield themselves to God's Spirit and allow the Holy Spirit to keep them focused on the main thing. Are you willing to do that? Man, are you willing to give up some of your preferences and opinions on things and preserve the unity? Listen, a church can either fight one another or a church can stand unified and fight the real problem, the evil one. But you can't do both. You can't do both. You pulled in too many directions. I'm so thankful that here at Liberty, um, over the years, we have chosen to stand united and, and fight for the truth. There are some things worth fighting for. And listen, the enemy is the enemy's not seated around you this morning, okay? The, the enemy is the devil who will do whatever he can to keep a good church like the church at Rome, our church here at Liberty, or any good church, to keep them off balance and unfocused and divided. Let's, let's make a commitment. Paul's calling them to make a commitment to be united in their mission. When a church does that, man, great things can happen. The gospel goes out, lives are changed and transformed, and we can get people ready for the Lord's return.